when I quit and started this business, there was a lot of risk. You know, the fact that my wife wasn't working at the time, the fact that we had one going on a second child, uh, you know, it was it was really do or die at that point. And, I, and I'll say, you know, the the first year, the first two years were not easy by any means. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding, and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. So on episode 18 of It's Not a Straight Line, we have Bobby Sani. Bobby's a veteran and thought leader in the multicultural marketing and advertising industry. He head up uh, multicultural marketing at Rogers Communication, and he's been a pioneer in developing, executing, and managing diversity and multicultural marketing initiatives for a number of top organizations. He's the co-founder and partner of Ethnicity Matters, a multicultural marketing and advertising agency. He loves teaching, speaking, and he earned his MBA from the executive program at Kellogg Schulich. Uh, Bobby, you've served on many advisory committees and most recently were elected to the board at Hockey Canada. And I love the quote you shared, you know, you feel like you're playing for Team Canada. It might be in the boardroom, not on the rink, but you're playing for Team Canada. Bobby, welcome to It's Not a Straight Line. Thanks, Jordan. It's quite the introduction. I think you got to follow me around wherever I go and I'll just <laughs> to you whenever I, I meet somebody new. That was awesome. That's right. That's right. So Bobby, for people that don't know you, um, why don't you share a little bit about your background, where you grew up, because I think it lends to your story later and uh, maybe the potential you saw in yourself early on. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so born and raised in uh, Brantford, Ontario, Canada, good old old Brantford, uh, home of Wayne Gretzky, home of the telephone. Um, uh, parents were, were immigrants uh, to Canada, came to, to Canada in the 70s, and uh, myself and my sister were born in Brantford, Ontario. Um, really spent, uh, you know, much of my, my childhood, well, all of my childhood in, in Brantford. Um, first time leaving Brantford was going uh, off to university. I uh, went to the University of Waterloo, uh, where I studied uh, science and business. And then uh, after that, moved to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, not the most uh, multicultural city in the country. But funny enough, that's where I got my start in multicultural marketing. Uh, and then after that, uh, have been in the, the GTA ever since. So uh, it's not a straight line. It's not a straight geographical line either. Um, you know, living in, in one city or anything. I've, I've had a chance to, to live in a, a number of, of cities uh, in, uh, in the province of Ontario. So it's been pretty cool. And, and early on, when, when you were at Waterloo, did you have any idea of what you may want to do i mean you're leading a business now you're an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. you know it's interesting i mean i I love the name of this podcast as well because so many of us growing up you know think we want to do one thing or go in one direction and and it's it's so not a linear path for any of us um you know i i think I'll, i'll i'll start with the end and and in the end what i've learned is that um, everything happens for a reason. 
And, you know, it could be small experiences, small decisions along the way um, that have, have taken you on this path and this, this journey that, uh, that we're all on. Um, you know, growing up when I was a kid, I mean, if you ask my parents, you know, the first thing I said I wanted to be was a painter, uh, just because I think we had somebody painting our house, or maybe it was my dad, and I thought it was fun, and I wanted to be a, a painter. Um, you know, after that, like a lot of kids, it was sports, right? I, I wanted to play in the NHL. I wanted to play for Team Canada, or I wanted to play basketball. Um, got into music, got into drama, um, wanted to be a rapper. Uh, I was a rapper at one point in high school as well. That's another story. But, um, you know, the entertainment industry was for me. I, I, I excelled in drama in high school. I had my my high school drama teacher actually encouraged me to, to pursue drama uh, as a professional career. Um, my parents, again, immigrant parents, you know, won't have any of that, really wanted me to pursue the sciences. So going into, you know, university and even in my final years of, of high school, I thought I was going to be a pharmacist. You know, that's kind of the direction I thought I was going in. I was excelling in sciences in, in school, you know, and, and I thought, well, that's the route I'm going to go. Um, but I also thought to myself that I don't want to pigeonhole myself and, and, you know, pursue sciences and one day wake up and say, man, I really hate this. I always wanted a bit of a fallback plan because I had seen so many other people that have gone through these type of, you know, they, they've gone down a certain study path. And then after they're done their, their degree or, or whatever level of education, they figure, man, I don't really like this and they start all over again. Uh, so the, the degree I actually pursued at the, the University of Waterloo was the, the science and business program. Um, so it was a science program, but all the electives were um, you know, footed in a, in a business background. So for me, I looked at it as, well, this is always gonna be something to, to fall back on if you know, my, my pursuit of pharmacy um, you know, doesn't pan out. And I can tell you after, you know, first year, second year chemistry and calculus, I, I wasn't going to become a pharmacist after that. It just, it just wasn't for me. Um, so I'm, I'd say I'm, I'm very fortunate that I had the business background. I, I got an opportunity to, you know, try a lot of different uh, subjects in school, first and foremost. But I'd say the biggest thing for me in terms of, you know, being able to experiment with different career paths uh, was doing the co-op program at my school, uh, you know, and I look back at the co-op placements that I had done, you know, everything from health promotion to, um, you know, e-commerce way back then to, to marketing and communications to um, just a, a, a wide range of, of organizations I had a, a chance to, to do co-op placements with and, and really do a lot of trial and error and experimentation. And, and if I understand it correctly, uh, Bobby, your parents were from the region of Punjab in India. Is that right? Well, New Delhi is, New I Delhi? mean, originally, yes, but uh, New Delhi is, is, I'd say, what they would call home outside of, of Canada for, for the two of them, yeah. So, you know, speaking about pharmacy, like you know, I had someone else on this podcast that had parents that grew up in India, like did, did they have any early influences on you wanting to get into a certain thing? I know the person I had before, his name's Rishi, yeah. said they wanted, they wanted him to be a doctor, lawyer, 
or an engineer? I think those are the three. Did, was that anything like your childhood? I think that's that's very typical of, of uh, immigrant Indian parents, uh, where there's certain professions that they look at and, you know, with the highest regard. Uh, absolutely. You know, the, the doctor is like the, the gold standard. If, if you're a doctor, you are, you know, another level, but absolutely doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, professional designations, um, you know, is, is something that's very highly regarded. Not to say that other professions are not, but I'd say growing up, you know, that that's kind of what parents naturally gravitated towards. And, and it's something I, I, I mean, you know, now that I'm older, I, I get it as a kid, you didn't really get it, but there's a comedian, Roddy, uh, Ronnie Chang, I think his name is, uh, he's got a Netflix special and he talks about this. He said, you know, when, when an immigrant um, parent has one of their kids become a doctor, as an example, it's the quickest way to turn things around in one generation. You know, he quotes Drake. He says, "Started from the bottom, <laughs> now we're here." But but that's what happens with a lot of you know immigrants that had come, you know, pre '90s. I'd say where a lot of them had to start at the bottom, right? And and then for their their kids, you know, a lot of them will live out their their dreams and their passions through their kids. So it's it's funny how he he comments on that. But um, you know, now you know, fast forward. I think whether it's, you know, my own kids or even my own parents as well, uh, I think there is still obviously love and admiration for some of those professional designations, but, and also a realization that there are so many different career paths, especially in this country that people can take. And, and for me personally, it's really about um, living your, your passion and your dream and, and loving what you do every, every day of the week. Oh, that's well said. And then Ronnie Chang's hilarious. He's got yeah. a good episode where he speaks about having weddings in three different places and yeah. how fun it is to plan that. Um, that was me. My wife is Australian as well. <laughs> so we, we've got the, we, we had two weddings, one in Australia and one in Canada. So I can totally relate. There you go. So how do you describe your early career to yourself or when your kids get a little older and how did you come across multicultural marketing and I really see you as as a leader and, and star in that space like how did that come together yeah I, I'd say one one thing about me from a career standpoint and even I, I think I learned this uh, about myself you know even in, in high school and university um, I, I think I've always been observant of gaps that might exist and how I can fill those gaps, not necessarily filling them from a, you know, from a, a stance of, oh, how can I capitalize on this opportunity, but more, more selfishly, just, just for myself and, 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 you know, just the things I love, I, I think about, well, how can I help this situation and, and how can I get, you know, enjoyment or fulfillment out of being part of, of this? Um, you know, I, I, I go back to my, my first job out, uh, you know, when I when I graduated university, I, again, I went to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, I was working with the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation. Um, one of my first assignments in the in the first week, my my boss at the time said, you know, Bobby, why don't you drive around the Sioux? You're new to the Sioux. Take a drive around, visit some of the lottery retail locations and, um, you know, just get to know them and, and would love to chat about your observations after that. So I said, no problem hopped in the car, visited a number of, of um, you know, lottery dealers or, or retail locations. And, and I, I had a few observations. One of the observations was 
wow, Sault Ste. Marie isn't very multicultural. Now this was, you know, early 2000s. So it wasn't very multicultural. That was the one observation. The second observation though, and I'd say this is kind of what led me to a career in multicultural marketing. It was the fact that the, the individuals selling lottery tickets, the dealers in Sault Ste. Marie, most of them did not come from an ethnic background, right? So, so picture um, convenience stores and, and those type of settings. So most of them did not come from an ethnic background. If I compare this though to Toronto or the GTA and, and not to be stereotypical here, but many of the people that are running these type of businesses are from an immigrant or an ethnic background. So it was a pure observation. I mean, my father himself, and, and I know many of other, other people um, you know, that had retail-based businesses. My father was a lottery retailer as well. Oh, wow. um, so that was an observation that the people that are selling the tickets out there come from multicultural backgrounds. Then the other observation was, okay, if the head office and marketing and sales is based in Sault Ste. Marie, and they are sending out sales and marketing and training collateral to, to the front lines that are ultimately selling these products to customers, there might be, it was a hypothesis, there might be some broken communication here. There might be some broken telephone. And that was my observation. And, you know, after driving around the city, I went back, I wrote these thoughts down in, in a two-page overview. And, and it was basically you know, telling my boss at the time that, hey, the makeup of Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario is very different than, you know, the rest of Ontario and, and predominantly the greater Toronto area. And because there is this makeup of people that speak different languages, come from different cultures, different countries, there may be a little bit of a communication breakdown and we should, we should actually probe if that is a challenge. And, and I remember he read it, he said, you know, never ever has anyone talked to us about anything like this, but it makes sense. And he said, you know, why don't you just keep picking away at this at the side of your desk while you're doing your regular job and let's keep chatting about it. In the next, I'd say four months or so, four to six months, that two page document became, you know, like a 60 page strategy overview. And it became, you know, the, the beginning of a multicultural marketing strategy for the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation. And that became pretty much my, you know, part of my full-time job at that point. In the next two years I spent um, continuing to build on that. I remember I was doing speaking engagements inside the lottery, um, you know, with sale at sales and marketing rallies. I was working on product development initiatives. I was getting my hand into research and training in all different areas. And because it was so new to the organization, but it was so new to me as well. And, and that's what I mean, going back to filling those gaps, like there were so many areas that I could add value and, and new thinking really in the pursuit of growth for this company that they had never thought about. And I, I would say that's been a guiding principle for me to this very date and, and why I have this career in multicultural marketing. It's because there is a gap that exists out there right? We're an aging population. We don't have enough babies for those reasons. Uh, immigration is a growth strategy for the country. Uh, and I believe it, it, it's got to be a growth strategy for every company as well. Um, so I can provide, you know, some subject matter expertise in doing that. And then from a personal fulfillment standpoint, you know, I love learning about different cultures. I love learning about different languages. I love to travel. Um, you know, it's, there's a personal fulfillment I get in doing this work as well. Yeah, that's amazing. What year was that when you presented that to Pager? 
originally? That was in 2002. Wow. So I'm next year is officially, I'm crossing the 20 year mark in multicultural marketing. And and then you went on, I think it was to Rogers Communications at a a point and really there became from what I hear the multicultural marketing guy within Rogers, one of the biggest telcos in Canada. Well, there was a stop before Rogers. And again, like you say, it's not a straight line. Um, After two years uh, in Sault Ste. Marie, you know, I came back, I was living in Mississauga with my parents. And then for some reason, I decided I'm going to go to law school. That was my thought. Oh, really? Yeah. So I started studying for the LSAT. Okay. Okay. Started studying for the LSAT. This was also my first time having to teach myself a subject. I mean, coming out of you know, university and high school, you always have somebody else that's teaching you. This is me trying to teach myself and prepare for an exam. Uh, and very quickly, I got bored. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I couldn't study on this exam. And in the meantime, while I was trying to prep for this exam, um, I got a call from a company called ICICI Bank. So ICICI Bank, not everybody knows them, but it is India's second largest bank. Um, you know, back in uh, 2004, I believe they had opened up a shop in Canada, uh, you know, as a, as a subsidiary here in Canada. And they were looking for somebody that, you know, not only understood marketing in Canada from a quote unquote mainstream perspective, but also how do you engage the Indian diaspora and how do you work with an internationally based marketing department that's based in, in India. Um, so an opportunity came up with this company, piqued my curiosity. I went for a few interviews and I had a job offer. And then I had to decide, okay, well, do I continue to you know, go through and write the LSAT and, and maybe go to law school, which was totally on a whim. Like, I mean, I had never ever thought growing up I wanted to be a lawyer it was I think it was just kind of that you know fulfilling parent dreams of professionalism and whatnot but then I had this other opportunity with um with uh, ICICI Bank so I, I took that job first uh spent two years and it was myself and another gentleman from India that ran the marketing department for ICICI Bank uh, and then after that I actually got headhunted into Rogers where again an interesting uh i love the name of this podcast it's that's not great line. i, I mean, love you're, it you're getting me thinking about my path as well i mean when i when i went to rogers you know they didn't have a full-time job they had a contract job and they basically what happened there was um so ted rogers and, and team at the time you know i discovered that the tastes of Canadians are unique. And, you know, if you look at our, your traditional cable lineup of channels two to 28, well, not those old school channels are going to service all Canadians, especially when people have different language requirements or, or, or different genre preferences. Um, so they started launching channels from all over the world. Um, problem is they were launching channels from all over the world, but nobody was subscribing to them. So that's where I got brought on board on a contract basis. And it was, hey, here's the situation on our TV business. Um, We've got an eight month contract for you. Can you help us turn the numbers around? And if you can turn the numbers around, we'll talk, uh, you know, about something else. Uh, and, and that's exactly what I did, you know, and within that eight months, we turned the numbers around on a, on a shoestring budget, um, got traction, got excitement and momentum on, you know, why we need to engage multicultural communities, why we need to speak to them a little bit differently, uh, you know, uh, and, and we got the numbers and, and that then 
became a full-time role for me at Rogers, not only a full-time role looking at, you know, that the international television business, but year over year while I was at Rogers, my portfolio just started to grow, right? It started international television, then it was television, then it was internet, then it was home phone, then I started working with the uh, media side of the company, the wireless side of the company, all really in the pursuit of, of growing, um, you know, market share and sales for this company, uh, and, and, and even just goodwill with multicultural and immigrant communities, but by engaging them, you know, in a language and in a manner that is culturally relevant and respectful uh, to them. So, that was kind of my my Rogers journey of how I got there. What was the decision making around leaving? Uh, so did you leave a full time job for a contract? I did. Yeah, I, yeah. I, um, I'd done my, you know, I, I had put in about two years at uh, at uh, at ICICI. And funny, just before Rogers came, I got another company. It was Unilever. Okay. That had a position, and it, I remember it was for like an assistant brand manager, multicultural. And I looked at the job profile. I'm like, oh man, I can do this with my eyes closed. Like, <laughs> I've been doing this, you know, for for so many years. And I went in. I went for the interview. Hit it off with the gentleman that was interviewing me. I, I thought for sure I nailed this. And and I'm like, oh, this will be a an interesting, uh, you know, detour in my career, and I'll get a chance to uh, get into the, the CPG business now. And, uh, and I remember getting a call from HR, you know, a couple of days after my interview and they said, yeah, you know, we've gone with another candidate. And I was just like flabbergasted. How does that happen? And they said, yeah, we felt you were too qualified for the job. And I remember at that point, I'm like, how does one become too qualified for a job? Is that a bad <laughs> thing? And I was all upset about it. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't get that job. You know, and I was talking to my my now wife about it, and she's like, "Look, it, it's that means there's something bigger coming. That's that's why this is happening to you. Don't get upset about that job because something bigger is company coming." And uh, literally a month later, uh, the Rogers position came, and and I I nailed that one, so it was perfect for me. Did you really believe something bigger was coming too? Is that something your wife really? truly like always brings to the table where'd that come from to be honest no and, and I think anyone that's been in a bit of a career rut you know at, at any point you kind of can't see beyond the immediate you know what's happening to you now and and thankfully you know you, you have support structure whether it's friends or family or, or mentors or whatever it might be that can see beyond you know the immediate uh, situation that you're facing. And I'll say for me, I couldn't see past that, right? I'm like, okay, I'm in this job right now. I had this other opportunity. It would have been great. I would have loved it. It didn't work out for me. And I was just like, you know, pretty pissed off about it. And, yeah, and obviously, yeah. you know, she, she was very optimistic, you know, trying to give me that encouragement that, you know, something bigger, bigger is coming. And then obviously you're in that mindset. You're like, oh, what does she know? <laughs> this is never going to change for me. And then, you know, lo and behold, uh, a short period after things changed. And I think, I think now only with experience and, and, you know, look, I'm still learning myself, right? We're all on this path. It's, I don't know it all, um, but I can say based on my career path to date and what I have learned and what I have experienced, um, 
there is life beyond kind of where you are at today and you have to be able to see past that and i i believe that you know having that optimism of you know ted rogers used to say the best is yet to come right and i think it's such a great way to live your life as well because you're always anticipating you know better and improvement and 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 you know things even if you are you know down in the dumps today it's going to get better for you and and, and i i just i think it's a really good way to kind of live your life as well and, and having that that optimism uh, push you forward as well uh, that's a really great quote you know how long were you at rogers before you before you went on to the next pursuit um so rogers was about seven years okay or so yeah. And I wanted to ask, you know, I, I saw as I was doing some research for the podcast, I, I realized you mentioned drama, you mentioned some acting, you saw you in a few commercials, yeah. some emceeing, you mentioned rapping, I even saw you, you announced broken social scene. I did. Yeah. yeah that was cool. it, have you always been comfortable in front of a crowd or in front of a camera? Yeah, I, I get energy from from people, right? I love being around people. I'd say the, the earliest indication that I loved just speaking in front of a, a crowd was grade four uh, when, you know, you're doing speeches and speech competitions. I mean, that's, that's when all of that started in, in grade school. Uh, and I used to do really well in those, you know, speech competitions, whether it was at our school level or at the, the county level. I remember I, I, I won for our school a few times and then uh, competed in the Brant County uh, you know, public speaking competitions and whatnot. So I've always loved doing that. And then even, you know, participating in things like lip syncs at school and, yep. and, and, and plays and whatnot. I've always had, had a, a love and a passion for, uh, for that. I think, you know, if I fast forward though, and this is what I mean, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes what you're meant to do, it'll just find you organically. It'll find you naturally. Right. So I, like I said, I did drama and everything in, in high school, didn't pursue it in university, but in university, a few opportunities came. And again, people found me and I did plays at school. I did other performances at school. I did other MC work at, 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 you know, at the university level as well. Thinking then now, okay, I've got to grow up and now I've got to be professional. I, I started working. I'm in Sault Ste. Marie of all places. And, um, you know, working on whatever. And, and I get stopped by a gentleman at the office and uh, he comes up to me and he says, Bobby, have you done any acting before? And I said, actually, I, I have. Um, he didn't know any of my past. He said, OK, great. I, I, I thought, you know, you might look good on camera. He goes, I, I've got a question for you. Um, I'm shooting a commercial and I'm, I'm hoping you could maybe be in it if you're interested. I said, okay, tell me about it. He said, well, it's for Beck Taxi. And I got immediately offended. Now here's a lesson learned for me. I got offended because my first reaction was, man, this dude wants me to be a cab driver in an ad. And, and I'm like, you know, I've, I've worked my, my butt off, you know, to not be stereotyped for, for something like that. And I immediately said to him, no. And I got a little bit angry, not angry. I was just upset. And I said, mm -hmm. listen, I, 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 I can't do that. I go, I, I'm not going to play a stereotypical role like that in a commercial. And he said, Bobby, actually, 
complete opposite of what you're saying. He said, you know, I've, I'm seeing you, you know, you're, you're suited up, you're very professional. What I had in mind was you're like an executive and, and the back seat of the back taxi is kind of like your, you know, your office away from your office. You know, you picture yourself in the back seat, you're on your cell phone, you're on your laptop, you're working Mm -hmm. away, that type of thing. I'm like, oh man, that's very forward thinking of you. And um, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'll do that. So that was actually the first commercial I ever did. Uh, again, I didn't, I didn't go for it. They found me. I did the commercial, and I can tell you, and I still have emails on this. Beck Taxi got fan mail from people within, you know, the Indian community, specifically the Sikh community, thanking them for putting, wow. you know, a, a turbaned Sikh in the backseat of the cab for a change versus driving it and actually having a positive portrayal, uh, you know, in, in mainstream television. So that was, that was the first commercial I ever did. And it kind of just grew from there. That's incredible. And and that would have been early two thousands, right? Or mid two thousands. That was very early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, What an experience. And yeah, I bet you would have been angry or upset at the, the beginning and, you know, fair enough, but it's so interesting how that person thought of it differently yeah. at that time. What about, uh, like, what made you decide, Bobby, to, to do an executive program at Kellogg Schulich, like a, a great yeah. school? Obviously, that's going to cost a fair bit of money. You know, you're on this track. What, what was the decision around that? Yeah, I, I think so. While I was at Rogers, you know, I was doing really well at Rogers. Um, and, and I'd say I, I, I knew my job pretty well and, and my, I had a, a pretty good team as well, but I, I knew I wanted more at that point. And, and that's when I started to talk to my wife about starting a company at some point. Then it wasn't going to be then, but at some point. And then after having those conversations with her and other people, I started thinking that, you know, I have a, I have a science degree, you know, the, the, Bio, the, the science and business degree. I have a little bit of background in business, but I don't know at all when it comes to business. You know, I talked to you about wanting to maybe do law school. I never pursued that. And then I thought, you know, maybe an MBA is, is something that I should be looking at from a personal standpoint, just to round out my business skills. Again, if I'm ever going to you know, run my own company, I, I, I want that comfort. But even if not, if I just pursue um, you know, to continue to grow in the corporate world, I want a bit of an edge. So that's when I started looking at doing an MBA. When I, oh, I started researching schools and, and doing various, you know, interviews and information sessions, when I, I met the, the folks at the, the Kellogg Schulich Executive Program, which, by the way, I never intended to do the executive program, because for me, on the surface was, I'm not an executive, number one. Uh, and number two, it's going to be way too expensive. So why even go down that path? But when I went in for my inf- informational interview, and I remember the gentleman um, said, you know, by doing the, because I was, I was torn between the executive program, the full-time program, like leaving, you know, my job and going off for a year or two, whatever, doing the MBA, or the part-time program, which would allow me to continue to work while doing school. And, and I remember at, the, uh, at, at Kellogg, the gentleman said, look, if you were to do the full-time MBA right now, I was about, um, I think I was just shy of 30 at, at this stage, or maybe I was just 30, I can't remember. He said, if you were to do the regular MBA, um, 
you'll probably be kind of from an average age perspective, you'll probably be kind of middle of the pack because a lot of a lot of folks that are doing their MBAs now are, are doing it right out of school, right? So they're on the, the younger side. So he said, from an education, the education is the education. But if you look at other things like networking and mentorship and those type of other, you know, byproducts that you get out of a program like this, he said, you'll probably be mentoring a lot of other people. He said, if you do the part-time MBA, you'll probably be in a little bit of a similar situation. What you will probably miss out on is you know, just that, that networking and that camaraderie that you develop from, you know, being in school at whatever certain period of time with these folks, where he sold me on the executive program was, if you do the executive program now, and you were to get in, you'll be one of the youngest people in the program, you will be surrounded by mostly executives. And if you value the mentorship and the networking, you'll get a lot out of the program, out of this program that you won't get out of the other ones. So that was actually one of the things and I'd say probably one of the deciding factors for me to take on this program. I always wanted to do a US MBA for some reason as well, especially in, in the marketing field. So mm -hmm. having that relationship or that association to the Kellogg School was, uh, was important for me as well. And from a cost perspective, again, I, I credit my wife. She's always been one of those people that says, we'll figure it out. There's got to be a way. And when you actually dig into, you know, firstly, the, the government facilities that are available for you to take loans for school, and then the, the various tax breaks that you will get for pursuing education, it kind of works out. You know, you kind of, you can make it work. I'm not saying it'll work for everybody, yes, but yes. we were able to make it work based on things that, to be honest, I had not, never even thought about when I first started thinking about doing an MBA. Uh, it's, it's really good advice you received about the executive MBA, the mentorship you'd receive, the networking. Yeah. Um, you know, the other, the other thing I, I obviously that that's on my mind in this conversation is you do end up going on to launch that business. You launch ethnicity. And I believe you launched it with with um, your partner Howard, but at the time your wife was, I think, pregnant with your second child. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us, tell listeners a little bit about ethnicity and, and the launch, and then, then I'd love to love to hear if there were any setbacks. You know, over I'm sure there's lots, and we could speak about that for a while. But if anyone stands out to you, like what's a setback? Yeah. That did. You know, again, not a straight line, right? So I, I'm at Rogers. I've, I've got now two people whispering in my ear. One is my wife and one is my now my current uh, business partner, Howard Lickman, saying what you do for Rogers is very unique. A lot, And at the time, I should tell you, a lot of other companies were reaching out to me, not to offer me jobs, but to get advice, right? I had other companies, other brands coming to me and saying, hey, what are you doing at Rogers? And can you help us? Can you help our team? And I was giving away a lot of free advice to people. So it was my, my wife and my current business partner that are whispering in my ear, you got to leave the corporate world. You got to start your own business. You got to do your own thing. Uh, and then I, I thought about it. And I remember speaking to one gentleman who was a colleague of mine at Rogers, who was a consultant. And he said, you know, Bobby, if you ever do decide to start your own business, he goes, just take my advice, get a little bit of sales experience. He goes, it doesn't have to be a lot. Just get a little bit of sales experience. He goes, it is a transferable skill that everybody that owns a business needs to have. And most of all, you need to understand how to take rejection. 
Uh, and I said, wow, that's, that's some interesting advice. And, and I actually took that advice. I, I, before, you know, I left Rogers and before I started the company, I spent eight months with the Toronto star. A lot of people don't even know this, but I spent eight months with the Toronto star with a, a content marketing studio division that they had set up and I was doing business development for them. Um, so I, I got a little bit of that sales experience under my belt couple things I realized. One, wow, sales isn't as easy as it looks. Um, this was my first time actually having to, to try and get out there and sell services. And number two, I, I realized that a lot of people out there, at least within the, the marketing and, and business community, they knew me as the Rogers multicultural guy, or at least the multicultural guy. I had developed a reputation as being this expert in multicultural marketing, and I, I couldn't shake it. Right. Not that it's a bad thing, but when I'm trying to now represent the Toronto Star and sell something that has nothing to do with multicultural marketing, I, I remember speaking to people and all they wanted to do was talk to me about multicultural marketing. So that got me thinking again. And again, bef just before starting the company, again, Jordan, it's not a straight line. I had a job offer from Nielsen. It was a really cool offer, actually. And I still remember the interview. I had my interview with the hiring manager and he said, Hey, I, I heard you speak at uh, whatever the conference was. He said, you were great. I said, Oh, cool. Um, I go, so why don't you just give me the job then? He's like, it's yours. <laughs> like, just take it. And, I mean, it was a, a really informal way to talk about the job, but I mean, they were, they were really, I guess, impressed with my knowledge and my passion on the topic. And they, they wanted to offer me a role heading up multicultural research for Nielsen Canada. So, Pretty cool job, I thought, right? Nielsen is a, is a great brand, will give me a lot of credibility, pay and all that was all good. And I, I literally had the, the contract in front of me and I'm about to sign it. And I was speaking to my wife about it. And she said, why are you doing this? And I said, you know, it's, it's good. It's a good company. It'll be good for me. She said, but good for what? I said, well, ultimately when I do start a, a business, you know, to have this on my you know, track record as well, it'll be really good. She's like, but you have the track record, you have the reputation, you have the contacts. She said, you're just making excuses. I'm like, you are crazy. You've got baby <laughs> brain right now. You know, you're not working right now. Uh, you know, pregnant with our second child, like, don't, don't, don't do this. She's like, you, she's like, I'm telling you, if you don't do this now, you never will, because we're going to have a second child and it's going to be, obviously it's going to be all about them. She's like, if you're going to do this, you got to do this now. And, and I couldn't believe she said that, but uh, shortly after that, I, I quit that, that role at uh, the Toronto star, I resigned and I told them what I was going to do, that I was going to just start my own company. I was going to focus on multicultural marketing. They thought I was crazy. Uh, I think everybody thought I was crazy. But um, but yeah, that's that's what it took. Uh, a pregnant wife to, to say, hey, do it now or you're going to regret it if you don't do it later. So, so you're known as the multicultural marketing guy at Rogers. You're known for this. People are getting your advice and people still think you're crazy for starting your own company. <laughs> I, I think for me, it was the timing, you know, that yeah, when I look yeah. back then, yep. uh, hey, you know, had I done this while, you know, my wife was fully employed, and we had no children, if I had done it, then, man, now in retrospect, you know, no excuses, right? Yeah. Like you, you have, you, you know, there, you have so much that you can fall back on if it doesn't work out. 
you know i think where it had gotten to when i um when i quit and started this business there was a lot of risk you know the fact that my wife wasn't working at the time the fact that we had one going on a second child uh, you know it was it was really do or die at that point and, I, and i'll say you know the the first year the first two years were not easy by any means um, especially when you're trying to start a business from scratch, like it is, it is tough and you learn a lot. You make a lot of mistakes. Um, but I, honestly, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, but if anything, now, you know, when I am very, um, you know, compassionate for, for people that do, you know, take that chance that want to start a business and even not start a business, anyone that even changes career paths or just wants to go in a different direction than they're already in. I am, I am very supportive of those people. Uh, and, and well, I have a lot of time for them as well. Yeah. And that's great for listeners of the, of this podcast. You know, you, you've spoken in the past, I've heard about, you know, playing floor hockey in a Christian hockey league and how that was interested, be interesting because people were learning about your background. You were learning about theirs. You played ice hockey or learned ice hockey very late in your life. And, you know, now you're been elected to the board of hockey Canada. And I've seen you on hockey night in Punjabi. I think there was an English YouTube clip that that's everyone should go check out. Uh, you call yourself a non-conventional hockey family. Yeah. What, what got you so into the game of hockey and what makes you excited about growing the game? Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I growing up in, in Brantford, I was always a hockey you know, I was always a hockey nut, loved, loved the sport, played, you know, ball hockey and street hockey and floor hockey, but never played ice hockey. Um, I think it was when I had my, my first son, who's also named as Jordan, by the way, um, uh, you know, when he was born and I said to my wife, you know, I, I always wanted to learn how to play ice hockey and I never did it. Now that we're starting to have kids, you know, I don't, I don't want me to be a factor of them not you know, learning to play a sport or trying something different. So I want to like better position myself to be able to kind of help them. Uh, so that's when you know, I was 35 years old, I, I enrolled in a learn to play uh, hockey league. You know, it was uh, over a course of 20 weeks. It was 10 weeks of lessons and then 10 weeks of, of, of gameplay. Uh, but that's when I learned to play hockey. And I would say at that point, I guess I reconnected with my childhood passion for, for hockey on a whole new level. You know, I, I think before I was, I was a spectator of, of, you know, the, you know, ice hockey, whether it was the NHL or, or team Canada, world juniors, Olympics, whatever it might've been. And yes, I, I played, you know, ball hockey, street hockey, floor hockey, but I never played on the ice. And, and now playing ice hockey, you know, at this age, uh, I just, it just opened my eyes. It was like such a new world for me. I, I enjoyed it so much. Not only did I enjoy playing the game, but just the whole getting ready to, to play a game, the hanging out with the, you know, the guys and girls in, in the locker room and, uh, and just developing new friendships. I was like, wow, what took me so long to, to do this? And then my kids, you know, as they grew, started to, to get older, put them in skating lessons and eventually hockey, and they're, they're loving it as well. So I'd say unconventional, one, because I, I started at such a late age. 
my wife is Australian who has never really been exposed to ice hockey at all. And now is all of a sudden a hockey mom as well, because we're at the, the rink every weekend with our kids. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, it's very different. I think where it got interesting for me is, you know, from a career standpoint, I'm in the business now of helping organizations uh, grow, right? Forget multicultural marketing. When we boil it down to what do I do, I'm a, uh, I'm a growth agent for organizations, right? I help them see opportunities uh, of where they can grow their, their business, their sales, their market share, um, by tapping into communities that they have never spoken to before or individuals that they have never spoken to before. Prior to Hockey Canada, I've done other, you know, volunteer board uh, positions as well. Everything from, you know, the entertainment industry and film festivals uh, to, to trade culturally, uh, culturally focused trade organizations uh, to I've even done uh, conservation uh, as well. So I, I've, I've done a, a bunch of those topics where Hockey Canada was just a, you know, a perfect fit for me was it's this sport that I absolutely love and I can, I can help them. I can truly help them grow this sport. And after my experience, so late in, you know, my, my age experiencing the sport, I thought to myself, everybody's got to try this sport and I don't want you know, the fact that certain obviously immigrant uh, communities aren't exposed to the game based on the countries that they've come from, or, you know, there's always talk about uh, the economics uh, associated or the financials associated with the, the sport of hockey. I don't want any barriers to exist for people. So where I can contribute, you know, as a volunteer on this board is to, to help grow the game to, to reach diverse communities and, and hopefully help them connect with the, the sport beyond just what happens on the ice, right? It's not just about playing the game. There are so many other benefits that I have experienced personally or through my children now and with my family of the benefits of, of belonging to this, this sport. And, and I want all Canadians to try it as well. That's great. And Bobby's also a past honor chair of an event I'm involved with, Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. Absolutely. And thank you again for your advice this year for participating. Bobby, two more. You know, I know Ethnicity, your company has been, been growing and you've been hiring. If people want to get in touch with you either about growing their business or they're interested in a potential career, how, how can they find you? Like what social medias do you take part in? How can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, company website is ethnicitymatters.com. Uh, so absolutely take a look at, uh, at our website. Uh, I'm very active on social media, I'd say from a professional standpoint, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm very active. So any, any of your listeners want to, to connect, uh, feel free to reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, happy to chat with anyone. And, and I, I mean, I've, I've said this many times to many individuals, um, this is a topic that I, I love to chat about. You know, this is not just business for me. This is absolutely my, my passion. Um, you know, the work that I, I do obviously for, for uh, corporations is one thing, but the, the time I have spent with, you know, nonprofits and other organizations as well, like whether it's Princess Margaret uh, for Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer or the other boards, I, I just, I, I, I'm one of those people that definitely has that willingness to help. So uh, definitely feel free to reach out anytime. 
Yeah. And I've, I've definitely uh, taken you up on that before and it's, it's so worthwhile to learn any comment on, on time management quickly. Cause you've got three kids at home. You run this business, you speak, you're on boards. How do you do it all? I'm not a great time manager. <laughs> I, I would tell you that uh, growing up in high school, uh, fun fact, I was always late for school. Uh, I was late so often that uh, I got sent to the principal's office one day uh, for being late that they assigned me to morning detention as punishment. Guess who was late for morning detention then? Uh, me as well. And I got sent back to the office. And, and luckily, I had a good reputation at, uh, at school. Uh, the, the principal just laughed, shook his head. He said, Bobby, just please just, just get out of here. <laughs> you don't belong at the detention. So um, yeah, no, I'm not a, not a great time manager at all, um, but I have learned to prioritize, right? You gotta, yeah, yeah. you gotta make pro you've got to prioritize everything that is important to you. And it can't be one thing. It can't be all about business. It can't be all about family. It can't all be about ice hockey. That balance is, is really important. And, and I'll say, I, I learned that lesson the hard way. We could save that for another yeah. podcast on how not to burn yourself out. Uh, but definitely maintain that balance uh, across everything that you're doing. Well, thanks so much for being generous with your time. Uh, what a great conversation. We could have gone for two hours here, but uh, thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. There you have it. Thanks for checking out. It's not a straight line. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and if you can, leave me a review, provide me some feedback, and I wish you all the best as you find your way in your career and life.